0: We are in a series right now called All In. And the thought behind this series of All In is through the book of Ephesians. There's six chapters. The first three chapters are very practical, but foundational doctrinal teaching about our salvation of who we are in Christ. And that's why we want to be all in in regards to I want all of Christ has for me. And the first three chapters give us a tremendous theological foundation of our salvation. And then the chapters 4 through 6, which we're going to be looking at this morning, is the now what. Now, as a result of this, I now can live a different life. I don't have to live the old way anymore because Christ is now in me, and I, I am in Christ. Our challenge through this series is to connect And grow and serve, not in my strength, not in the church's strength and ability. It is not in your ability. It is totally serving in Christ, connecting and growing and serving in Christ. And Ephesians chapter number three, the end of that talk, where it talks about our salvation and our new life in Christ and our new position in Christ, we see in verses 20 through 21, which we always go back and refer to the Bible rather than my opinion. Let's go back to see what the Bible says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, that is us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and it finishes with amen. If you notice at the end of our prayers, often we say the word amen. Amen, at the end of a prayer. We do it partly because it's tradition that we do that, but it's also, it's a word that it actually means, so let it be. So the end of this passage, he's finishing it much like a prayer and saying, so let it be that everything we do is ultimately for the glory of God. And then we come into chapter number four through six, where it becomes more practical. And now What? As a result of our salvation, how are we to live? This is not to earn our salvation. This is as a result of our salvation. Now we live differently. Have you ever received news, whatever the news is, that totally changes your life and you cannot help but respond to it? There's a silly picture on the screen. A guy with something in his teeth. Have you ever had been told by someone there's something in your teeth, it's impossible to ignore that. If someone tells you there's something in your teeth, you can't go, up. Oh, I like it there. And ignore. You know that you're going to be like, excuse me for a moment, and you're going to be picking your teeth in just a few seconds. It's impossible to ignore that information because it's embarrassing, and typically you're totally ignorant to it. So you're going through the day thinking you're all confident and realizing that you have a whole bunch of broccoli hanging out of your teeth. You have information, but it's impossible to ignore. Well, in a similar way, when we hear the word of God, When we hear and know what is true, we have a choice. Are we going to respond and live differently? Or are we going to ignore it and continue to live the old way? And that's what actually a guy named James, who wrote a book of the Bible, in James chapter number one, says this. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Don't just hear it. Let's do something about it, deceiving yourselves. It goes on and says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You're looking in the mirror. You you see yourself. You know what you look like. You turn away and you go, now, what was I doing again? What was I looking at again? In chapters 4 through 6 of this book, which we're just going to look at this a few verses in chapter number 4 this morning, we're confronted with some serious and wonderful now what's as a result. And our principle for today is this. And every Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And it's a very simple one today. And it goes right down to the source in Christ, I will live differently. In Christ, I will live differently. The past couple of weeks through this series, we've been talking about in chapter number four, where we're talking about walking worthy of our calling, and we're talking about walking in unity. And now we're talking about walking differently. Let me give you a little bit of background of, of Ephesians. And I've given this in the past, but I'll give it again to you this morning. This book of the Bible was written to a real church in a real place in the first century, a city which is in modern-day Turkey known as Ephesus. And the people in Ephesus were known as Ephesians. And this city was a Roman colony. It was quite affluent. It had a tremendous, huge theater that was understood to have to seat 25,000 people. It was a well-established city. And it was well known for one thing. It had an incredible temple there dedicated to a goddess known as Artemis, and some Bibles translate it as Diana. And this temple worship was the encompassment of the entire society. If you were an Ephesian, you were a follower of Diana or Artemis. And that... Within that worship was actually quite disgusting worship. There was temple prostitution involved. There was a great deal of moral and immoral debauchery that, that went on with this worship. And you imagine your entire culture is filtered through this absolutely disgusting false worship. And then the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book of Ephesians, along with some others, arrives in the, in the town, begins to preach about this new understanding of this man named Jesus and how he's God and how he loves us and he cares for us and we don't have to live that way any longer. Now we can live a new way in Christ Jesus and people begin to be saved. They begin to place their trust upon not religion but upon Jesus Christ as their Savior and it makes such an incredible effect and it turns that entire city literally upside down in in, in their mindset, where people get so angry that they begin to riot. And they gathered inside of that theater, and for two hours, it says in Acts chapter number 19, he says, they cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. These people were rioting in Ephesus, saying, we don't want to become Christians. We don't want to follow those ways, because... They were losing their livelihood. Christianity was having such an effect that they were well known for producing these silver idols of Artemis. And as a result of that, people were losing their livelihood because the people, no one was buying their silver idols anymore because Christianity had made such an impact. And they began to cry out. Now, the Apostle Paul, much later after this, is writing them a letter of encouragement. Now, You remember now who these people are. They've grown up culturally in some horrible debauchery. Their mindsets and the way they see people and the way they see others as objects, not as as people created by God. And now Jesus Christ has come and totally turned that upside down. Now they're going to live life differently. And we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, don't go back and walk the way you used to walk. Now you know Christ as your Savior. Why would you ever want to go back to the old way? And it continues on in the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Our challenge for this series and a challenge for this morning is to connect and grow and serve. Not to give you a list of jobs to do, but to refocus our hearts and our minds upon what we're able to do, not in our own strength and ability, but in Jesus Christ. And all of this begins with a relationship. if you're following along in your notes in the bulletin, that's the first point this morning is the word relationship. It says in verse number 20. And we're just going to walk through this passage. So, If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter number 4, we're going to read through verses 20 through 32. We're going to walk through this passage and make some practical application for our lives. And you imagine the Apostle Paul writing this. He's going to give them some really transformational instruction. They've been going their lives one way. They're learning the truth, and they have a choice. Are they going to continue going back the old way? Are they going to make a choice and go the way that God's calling them to go? And that's where he's laying out. He's reminding them of their foundation. So the verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That word learned and I did some study on this, is actually the understanding of that is not the way that you have a personal relationship with Christ. That's what we're talking about learned. It's actually far deeper than just a head knowledge learning, like I know about someone or something. It is that I have a personal friendship relationship. That's what it means by that word learned. My sister is moving house. They sold the house, and she and my brother-in-law and, and niece are going to be moving, and they begin packing up some things. And my sister's been going through the boxes of things from her teenage years, and she began to send photos of all of these things, and pro- probably some of it's just to stir the pot with me because my sister, and maybe you were a, a girl of the 90s, my sister was in love with a guy named Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And maybe some of you that are that similar age, you like oh JTT. And as a as a teenage boy, that that always bothered me so much. Girl having boy posters on the wall, but my sister sent a photo of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and that she kept all these years. I don't know what she's going to do with it because the guy's forty years old now, and he doesn't look like that anymore. You have the people that you know about, but you don't know. Personally, you can't pick up the phone and talk to them. You may know about Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and he was a funny little actor as a teenage boy, but you don't have a relationship with him. Here it says, here is we're not to go back to the old way of living because now we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and now we get to live differently, and we don't have to live the old way any longer. Because of that relationship, and the Apostle Paul begins to teach through some things and remind us of the foundation of who we are. First of all, he says that we have a new truth. We have a new truth that goes and says, verse 20, "...but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus." This is the opposite of the society that we currently live in. And this is certainly the opposite of the society that the the Ephesians were living in, where wrong is seen as right. And right is seen as wrong. And everything that we, we think as Christians is seen as wrong in our society. And we certainly see that within our own culture today, where we stand up for things that are, are moral and ethical and biblically correct and are seen as, as absolutely wrong in our culture and society. But it says there, where's our source? The truth is in Jesus. In Christ, we have truth. And we where do we find about Jesus? It's not my opinion, because my opinions, they go up and they go down. And I have thoughts and they change over time. What we find here is we go straight back to. The Bible, what does the Bible teach? And when the Bible teaches it, it's not my opinion. It's not the church's opinion. We go back to what does God teach us in his word? The Bible What we find when we study the Scriptures, we find from the beginning to the end of the Scriptures, it points us straight to Jesus. Jesus is addressing this in John chapter number 5. And he has a conversation and he's talking about people who are studying out the Scriptures and they're trying to find the source of eternal life. And it says in verse number 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, which we do. But he goes on and says, and it is they that bear witness about me. What he's saying there is you study the scriptures. You want to know how to have eternal life. Well, guess what? We find Jesus there. And Jesus says, it's all talking about me. And he continues on in that passage and talks about Moses and about his writings. And he says there, you know, all those writings, he's talking about me there. These people at that time had a choice. How are they going to respond? Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to remain the same? If we follow Jesus, now we get to live differently as a result. We have a new truth. That new truth is Jesus that we find in the Word of God, the Bible. We also, once we place our trust upon Christ as our Savior, here's some good news for us. We now have a new position. And this new position is is it says in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So put off the old, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, and put on the new self. So put off the old, put on the new, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We find with this new renewal that we have a, now we have a new citizenship. Many of you have been born in other countries, and you've moved to Australia, and you become a citizen of Australia. Congratulations, You cannot be kicked out any longer. And as a citizen of Australia, there are incredible rights and privileges that we have. But you know what? There's also responsibilities as citizens. And it says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The very beginning of the book of Ephesians, verse number one, chapter number one, it talks about, the source of who what, what brings us together. And what brings us together as a local church is not our mutual enjoyment of the same football team. co Eagles. It's not the fact that we all like the same food. We all have the same sense of humor. We all like the same coffee. And that's what brings us together. Actually, the only thing that brings us together is Jesus Christ. And we see in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, To the saints... Who are in Ephesus? So this is the introduction, and are faithful—not in our opinions, not faithful in my personal desires, in the sense of humor. Where do we find it? We go straight back to faithful in Christ Jesus. We have now a citizenship in Christ. But not only are we citizens; we have a new citizenship. Now we have—we are called a new creation. That is absolutely tremendous. Now, we are known as a new creation. Now, some of you are teachers here. And as teachers, it's, I'm sure, a great deal of fun teaching your students something. And the little light bulb goes off. And you can see in their eyes. You've taught them something new for the very first time. And they go, Ah, oh, now I understand. There's many things that I've been taught over the years that I don't recall where I was taught them. But I will never forget learning. And the things that we, you, you teach, and you see that little light bulb go off, and you see the eyes, and as a teacher, you love that. That drives you to keep you be, being a teacher, not just a paycheck. As a pastor sitting with people and talking about their salvation and helping them understand their, now, their new position in Christ after they come to know Christ as their Savior, that's known as discipleship or become followers of Jesus Christ. And with that, you see that light bulb type of thing go off in people's mind when they begin to understand that they don't have to live the old way any longer. I don't have to be, let's use Ephesus as an example. I no longer have to follow these false gods. I no longer have to follow this this evil worship. Now I've been liberated, and how I get to, as a result, live a totally different life as a result. And when you sit with people and they begin to understand they are new creations, not in a church, but in Christ, that is one of the most exciting things that I get to teach people. And I love, in fact, selfishly, I want to grab people and say, let me teach you this. Other people teach you other things. Let me teach you the good stuff, because it's fun. It says in verse 24, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a reason why those last three words, righteousness and holiness, are recorded there. You see, we weren't just to put on the new self after the likeness of God. And you go, all right, that's nice. God saved me, and one day I'll be in heaven with him one day. I'll see you in eternity. He actually has transformed our lives in an incredible way for the here and now. There's two words, the word righteousness and holiness. The word righteousness means to be positionally in right standing before God. Therefore, as people that do wrong and we are all sinners, every single one of us has done wrong and we are sinners. We are guilty before God. God says when you place your trust upon Christ as your savior, he takes that sin off of you and the Bible says that he buries it in the deepest part of the ocean and through Jesus Christ takes that and he absolutely and this is where God is remarkable, God chooses to forget our sin and gives us the position of being in right standing or righteous before God. That means that we are declared not guilty before God. That's a tremendous position to be in. I don't have the ability to forget my sins and the things that I've done wrong. But when we've been forgiven by God, God says you are no longer held account of those. That's beautiful. But it doesn't just save us and go, you're not guilty. Go work out life for yourself. He gives us that next word, the word holy. The word holiness is the understanding of we've been set aside for something special. We have been set aside for a purpose. So we've been forgiven of our sins. We have a new, we're a new creation in our righteousness. And now we're a new creation in our purpose that we are now declared holy. If you want to learn more about that, study your Bibles in the book of Romans, chapters number five through chapters number eight, which talks about our being new creations in Christ. Jesus gives us an incredible illustration in the book of John, chapter number 11 in regards to not having to live the old way, and now we can live the new way in Christ. And he gives us the example in John chapter number 11, records the account of Jesus' very close friend, a man named Lazarus, who dies. They received the news several days earlier that Lazarus was sick, and they began to make their way toward Bethany, where Lazarus and his two sisters were. Then they receive the word as they're traveling that Lazarus has passed away. That's where we have the passage in the Bible that says Jesus wept. And the disciples are there and with Jesus and they begin questioning him as as in what's going on. And they're very discouraged. They were sad. They arrive back in Bethany and with Jesus. Traditional Eastern morning, there's wailing going on, there's, there's, there's sadness, they, people wear d- different clothing, and they're be coming into a multiple day funeral service and they arrive. And when Jesus arrives, he does something that is remarkable, that only God could do. He comes before the grave, and what they would do in in ancient times is they would have a tomb that would often be cut into a, a rock, like a little cave, and they would have a large rock pulled over the front of the cave in order to seal it. And what they would do with the body, I'm not trying to be gross here, this is just how they would do things, is they would take the body and they'd wrap them in grave clothes or grave cloths. And they would put spices with the body in order to help with practical things like the smell. When Jesus came and stood before the grave, Jesus says something that is no one there would have thought to do. He says, move the stone away. And It says in verse number 39, which is on the screen, Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days the Eastern culture, they would take a, a dead body and they would bury it as fast as possible because of practical reasons. Now, the English Standard Version writes that as there will be an odor. I like the way the King James Version of the Bible says it. It says, he stinketh. It's really practical. You know, he's been dead four days. It's hot outside. He stinketh. And you think... The horror of these people standing by watching, going, oh, this is going to be kind of gross. As they pull the stone away and Jesus famously says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he gets up and he rises from the dead and he hops out because it wasn't just like he was wearing clothes. He would have been hopping out in these really tight garments. And here's my illustration. You have a man who used to be dead, who is now alive. He was buried. He had the grave clothes on. And Jesus says something in verse number 44. He says, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, to me, that's very obvious. The guy is no longer dead. Why should he be remaining in his grave clothes? Unbind him and let him walk free. I mean, I I guarantee that the funeral director did not give a discount. And this is where it becomes really practical. Obviously, Lazarus is alive. He's not going to remain in his grave clothes any longer. He's now going to get dressed and live life normal or live life differently because he's now alive. Why would he ever want to remain as a dead man now that he's alive? In a similar way for you and I, why would we ever want to go and live the old way when we've been declared righteous and holy in Christ? Now we get to live a new way. In a moment, we're going to see a video. This is a very Aussie video that's going to illustrate this point and maybe when you go home today you'll begin to think about why would I ever want to live the old way anymore I want to live the new way dad reckons mom is the greatest cook on earth what do you call that doll sponge cake beautiful and what's that stuff on top icing sugar how is it kids And why would you want to go out to a restaurant when this keeps coming up night after night? Why would you want to go out to a restaurant when this keeps coming up night after night? I am a blessed, blessed man. My wife is an amazing cook. And this morning before I left for church, she got the crock pot out and she was preparing our lunch. And I know when I come home this afternoon, the garage door will go up and and it will be. This is absolutely true. The wolf. Of smell will come out. And I'll walk in the house. I will say something like this because I often quote the castle. And I'll say, Why would anyone ever want to go out to a restaurant when night after night this keeps coming up? Silly illustration to put it in your brains. Why would I ever want to go back to the old way of living? The Apostle Paul is talking to the Ephesians here. Why would you want to go back to this evil worship, this living for yourself? Why would you want to go back to this lying and and hatred and the anger when you can live in righteousness and holiness? So as we transition from the first point to the second, the second point is the result, and this is the application for us. I want to put this phrase in your mind, and I want you to mold this over, and maybe as you go eat lunch today, I'm going to eat an amazing lunch. Maybe you eat an amazing lunch too. Maybe you'll be thinking of this. I don't have to live that way anymore because I am in Christ. And that's what we see with the result. In verse number 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, now we get to live a different life. And the Apostle Paul goes through a list of five very practical things. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is a list of, you don't have to live that way anymore. Why would you want to go back there? Now let's live the new life. You get to live this way now. And he makes it really practical. And for for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to illustrate every single point down as much as I would like to. But I want you to take these down. If you have your bulletin, you write them down and begin to remember them and remember this passage and think to yourself and begin disciplining your mind. I don't have to live this way anymore. The first one, very practical, is tell the truth. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. We know that lying is a sin. Therefore, I'm going to live differently. We make this practical. We make this actually genuinely practical. It comes down to the very foundation of, of the way we think and the way that we talk with others. We don't stretch the truth. We don't manipulate it to make ourselves look good. We tell the truth. And in the short term, we go, oh, that's really hard to tell the truth. It doesn't make me feel good. But we know That, as it says in that last line there, for we are members one of another. That's exactly the way I want to be treated by other people. I want you to tell me the truth. So therefore, I want to tell you the truth. And when we work together in unity, what a wonderful church family we can enjoy. You imagine being in a marriage relationship when you're constantly wondering, are they telling me the truth? Are they lying to me? That marriage would not be a strong marriage. In our society, how are we going to break the cultural norms of lying and manipulating the truth? When we say something, they know it's going to be true. It goes on. Not just tell the truth. We're also called to become peacemakers. Verses 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. God in the Bible is described as being angry sometimes. Jesus is described as as getting angry. There's a difference between getting angry at a person and being angry at a circumstance, an injustice, a sin. And it goes on and says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, which is great advice, particularly for relationships and in the marriage relationships. Don't let it fall fester and grow over time. You may have heard that in society. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Now you know where it's come from. It's come from the Bible. And it says in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. He gives the understanding here that obviously if God can become angry at injustice, angry at sin, that the devil can use that anger when it's used incorrectly in our lives, ultimately to destroy our lives and to stop us from living the purpose that God wants us to live. But what we find here is, then the principle here is, the believer in Jesus Christ should be angry towards sin, but loving toward the person and people. Because, but for a great deal of grace in my own life, I mean, how many times have we all messed up and we've become we've done things that are wrong? And I'm grateful that I can receive that grace as as can you. But misdirected and unconfessed anger is an opportunity for Satan to have victory in our lives. So he talks about the opposite of anger. I see is mending and building, making peace in difficult situations. It goes on from there. And we find in verse number 28 that we're called to become givers. And it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Stealing is obviously a sin, so I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to live life differently as a result. This is the character trait of generosity. It's so easy to give someone else's money away. And to think to yourself, that person should give because they have so much and it's so much more difficult to make that personal in that what opportunity and circumstances have God put me in? What? How has He blessed me? Has He blessed me with the ability to work? And now I have the ability to work, so therefore I have the ability to give. On the other side of this is it doesn't mean that we should never receive blessings from other people because we're all recipients of other people's blessings. And when, during those times of blessings, we receive them. We don't go back and go, well, I'm never going to reciprocate. We look Now we have the ability to look for other opportunities to be a blessing to others. We also see in verse 29, we're called to be an encourager. And he uses the opposite of encouragement, which is, it, talks, it says there, corrupt talk. It says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupt talk, looking into the original language, is a word that means rotten and worthless. Now, I'm going to make this very sensual into your, to your nose, and maybe you can imagine what this is like. It says, let no rotten, as in, and as the illustration the Bible uses, rotten fruit come out of your mouth. You know that smell when something's gone sour and you go, oh, that's horrible. We are blessed with three rubbish bins in many of our homes. And the light green bin is the bin that we put all of our lawn and clippings in, and we also put all of our, those little green recyclable bags, we put them in, and they fester, particularly over summertime. Wintertime's not too bad. But in summertime, they get gross, and they get boiling hot, and i mean gross here, the maggots come, and when you take those rubbish bags out, do you do this? Like, I'm like, oh, this is so gross. Can I hold my breath? And you throw it in the rubbish bin, and I, I literally, I do, I hold my breath, and then you can't just let it go right away, you have to walk away, and then breathe when you're far enough away from the stench. And that's the illustration there's this there. Don't let no disgusting talk that's absolutely oh, into our noses come out of your mouth. But it turns it around. But... Only such as is good for building up, that we're building up is the same word as encouragement, as fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We have the wonderful blessing of giving and sharing God's grace. That word grace is literally means God's favor upon the undeserving. We can share c- kind words that build people up, that help them know and understand their relationship with God. Rather than looking at them and, and naming all of their failures, we can now turn that around and make that encouragement, to, uh, encouraging talk where we share the wonderful grace of God in their lives. What a transformation. In our society, oftentimes we, we hear within Australia, it's, It's just the way the Aussies talk, and they say swear words, and they talk like this, and they bring others down, and they make fun of of things that uh, should be considered holy. And just because it's culturally normal doesn't mean that it's the way we should live. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. In the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, Jesus is talking and talks about where our talk comes from. He talks about things that, to be honest with you, is quite convicting. Because you ever said something that you really didn't mean to say that was wrong, and you go, oh, where did that come from? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. And it happens to all of us. We, you know, The workplace, and I mean, granted, I work at a church, so our workplace is pretty good. In our conversation, there's no swear words at my, my workplace. But so many of you, you hear filthy language all day long. You turn the television on, and there's filthy language and negative words that come into your mind all day long. And it comes out sometimes. And in verse 34 of Matthew 12, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, it's been put there and out of our hearts. That's where our, vo- our words come from. And verse 36 is something that's honestly very, very convicting. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you go, I wish I didn't know that. But now you do. We now know that for every careless word that comes out of our mouth, we're going to get an account on the day of judgment before God. That's very convicting. If you want to learn more about that, study James chapter number three in the Bible. And it addresses the tongue, the words that we speak. And finally, we see the forgiver. We're called to be a forgiver. It's so easy to live naturally in a state of unforgiveness, pointing out other people's faults and continually reminding them of that. And we, when we do that, it doesn't just affect our relationships with others, it also affects us. And we become sometimes the, the victims of our own sinfulness there because we're not just hurting other people by not forgiving. It actually also hurts us. And it says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed on the day of redemption. Those were secure in our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is sealing us. So we've been sealed to righteousness and holiness. Let all, and here's the result, let all bitterness And wrath and anger and clamor, that were clamors like physical fighting, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It's so easy to live in unforgiveness, but the result is we live in bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice, and that's not the way any of us want to live. And it goes on in verse number 32 which is a very well-known verse. And the first line of this is what I taught my children as they were young. The very first Bible verse I taught my children was, Be kind one to another. If you see my children after church, test them. They, they know this verse. Be kind one to another. And it goes on, it says, Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We see in this passage, verses 20 through 32, We called it be telling the truth, be peacemakers, be givers, be encouragers, and be forgivers. And the reward is what we're going to talk about next week. Because the reward goes into chapter number 5, verses 1 and 2. And when we see the reward, which is our third point, we see that now we get to, it says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What an incredible privilege that we have. We don't have to live the old way any longer. Now we get to live and walk in love and be an imitator of God. What a great way to live. I don't want to live the old way any longer. You don't and I don't have to.